Welcome to the Service Management Leadership Podcast with Jeffrey Tiefertiller. Hello, everyone. Jeffrey Tiefertiller back with another Service Management Leadership Podcast. We have a great guest, Cy Howells, Cyrus as well. Cy, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Oh, I always enjoy the different aspects of the service management community. And so yours is one that we haven't, both industry and role, we haven't had on yet. So I'm excited to have this conversation. So you're an ITIL V3 expert. Let's just dive straight in. All right. How'd you get started on your ITIL journey? Well, I mine actually goes back to, um, I was in operations of the utility and started into IT and did all kinds of different roles, but service desk, PC support, got involved with the Help Desk Institute, and all along the lines there, uh, then this thing came along called Idle. And it started putting clarity to some of the things we were trying to do, the consistent processes and the, the way we were doing things. Um, then I moved over and was with EDS and HP for a while, and there really got a heavy drive into Idle and you know, for me that it just, it's sunk uh, in for me of the things I was always kind of thinking here was a framework that matched all that sort of my core beliefs there. So you've been doing, since you mentioned EDS, you've been in this ITIL world a few decades, right? A couple decades plus. It's uh, quite seasoned. How about that? <laughs> well, I'm just saying I was there too. And yeah. I think uh, I wasn't quite in the 80s when it was OGC coming over from England, like the like the pilgrims, but more of, you know, we were always saying, okay, what's better practice? What's best practice? Asking ourselves those questions, how can we do better? And when we, we get exposed to ITIL, we're like, ding, 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 this makes sense now. Is that kind of how it was for you? Yeah, exactly. It's uh, with some of those different experiences, it was all about like when we were putting out policies and new processes, uh, you know, we were rolling out computers and telling people how to do those and you're starting to write instructions and those end up being processes. And yeah, then here comes along this framework at like, yeah, that's what we've been trying to, to do that, that matches it. Yeah. Like this, 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 we're here, we're here. Yeah. We have yep. arrived. All right. That's it. How does ITIL color your view of IT? And I asked that question in a specific manner only because those of us that are ITIL people, <laughs> love us or hate us, those of us that are ITIL people, we look at the IT world just a smidge differently, don't we? And so how how's this colored your view of IT? Yeah, I, I always talk uh, about, it's about building the house. I, I, I said idols is foundational to me. And I, I think about it like I'm building a house. Right? When I'm building a house, I need the instructions to put the framework up and here's the house. Maybe, maybe it doesn't tell me what carpet to put in or what color to put my walls on my walls, but it tells me how to build the house the right way. And to me, that's what idol does for us in the context of IT. It's, it tells me how to build the house, how to put it together right. And so that I can add my flavor to it, but I at least get that foundation right. And that's where I think a lot of people misunderstand ITIL, even those that are practitioners. They see it as uh, they want it to be uh, prescriptive. 
and it's not. It's a framework, and it's it's basically outcome based. You say build a house. That building of the house is the outcome, right. and it helps you get there within that framework. Is that kind of how you see it? Yep, that's exactly it. Yep. And I say it because we in IT like to say, okay, do this, then do this, then do this. And so Idol's like, hey, whatever's best for your organization, given your leadership, your culture, everything else, here's some guidelines. I, I, I think you're, you're spot on. I think that's, in a way, that's a challenge that we have sometimes with the Idol framework is, that individuals will look at that and it's overwhelming to them. Like, oh my goodness, I've got to do all that. And and how do I make that textbook kind of feel be reality? And and so I, I try to tell folks uh, ways to make that look, okay, when it says this, oh, that's, we, we do that over here. And to make that connection and that it's, it's you don't have to, you don't have to do the whole framework. You know, what's what's the thing that's painful for you right now? And let the framework help you address that pain. Right. And I most of the organizations that big bang, let's put them all in, they yep. struggle because it's hard to mature them all at once at the same time. And it's easier to mature a base and then add on. So if you have change incident config, that's what request to add on problem because it puts between change and incident and then one more and then asset possibly and then something else. Yep. Is that kind of where you're at? Yep, that's exactly it. And again, I don't have to, I don't have to do the whole thing. Right. And, and sometimes where I'm at in a, in a particular process, a particular practice, that's okay. I, I, but I've got other places where I need the focus and that's how you can leverage that. To me, that's how to leverage that framework in the best way for an organization. Especially when we think of it like, a, I think of it like a CMPD, a configuration, the item, classes and attributes. The more you're tracking, the more it costs you. And yep. so the same with the process of the practices, the more you have that you're trying to mature, the more it'll cost you. And so you have to figure out is this worth the effort? Is our is our organization does that have the appetite for it? Yeah, we always talk about the maturity score, and yep. it's always one of the conversations I have early on, which is, you know, it'd be I call it Idol Island. We can all be on Idol Island where sun's always shining and we're walking and the, and the birds are singing and everything's in perfect harmony, but that's not reality. Everything doesn't have to be a level five maturity and it doesn't make sense to be that. So what's right for your organization? You have to make that decision and then then go to that. Don't try to achieve perfection with across the board. It's interesting and we're way off going sideways, but this is a great conversation. Whenever I was uh, around people I took and I told three, the uh, RCV you know, the release, control, validate, it basically serves transition for those of you that don't know. Everybody that took it, that had a drill down in the weeds job, they struggled with that because they couldn't take where they were and how they were doing it against this theory base that you're being tested on. And so it was interesting and you had to say, no, you had to disconnect from that and now put yourself into what would be the best practice, not for your organization, but in general. Yep. Yep. All, right. All right. So you 
have taken the managing professional transition class and you're waiting, preparing for the test. Is there any insight as you went through that class and you're preparing for this test that, oh, this is different in ITIL 4 versus B3? Well, the one thing that sort of stood out to me is, and I guess it shouldn't really be a surprise with it is, there's a pretty big focus in uh, in idle four towards the high velocity IT organization. And so there's a pretty heavy focus on that as part of that transition. And that's that's new from idle three. And uh, to me, that's my, my sort of one oper- op- observation is there's a heavy focus there, but as you kind of dive a level deeper, I don't know that it's it's that different than what we've always looked at. The key is that it's it's focusing on continual improvement. How do I continuously move faster and faster? How do I become a digital organization and and be able to deliver my products and services faster, but still effective and efficiently? So. Oh yes, and and so I'm going to quiz you way off script on this since you've studied i'm sure you're studying all the time you mentioned continuous improvement how many aspects of itil 4 have improved or continuous improvement or improve you know some types it's almost everywhere along the way isn't it 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 is it really is um you know that's why that's why it's part of the the key the key components of the the um the, the service value system is continual improvement it's it's everywhere. It's like guiding principles. It's like governance. They're they're everywhere in the model and and continual improvement. And it, I think deservedly so. It it belongs at that level. It's to be effective. It 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 needs to be there. And I would say that all of us need that even in our personal life. Is how do we get better? How do we do what we want to do better? How do we iterate in a way that that we understand? Here's where I want to go. How do I get there? How do I uh, how do I put in these mechanisms that gain this valuable feedback because we all have blind spots and then move forward? It, it is. It's, it's, the, it's the mindset that you really, you have to practice that. Yeah. And then it almost is like you practice and practice and practice. And one day you kind of get to this point like, oh, okay, now I'm thinking that way. Everything I'm doing, I'm thinking that way. And and um, yeah, it, it applies everywhere. It's not just IT, it's, uh, it applies everywhere. Oh yes. All right, so what does ITIL and service management look at look like at Duquesne Light Company? Duquesne Light Company for our listeners and viewers, electric utility, public utility here in the US. What does that look like for you all? Yeah, so, and thanks for that. Yeah, Duquesne Light, we're, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, right in the, the the heart of Pittsburgh, there we are the provider there. So what it looks like uh, for us, I, I would say, it doesn't necessarily look different than other organizations. It's the map of how we do what we do for IT. Um, but yet there are uniqueness. Uh, there's a uniqueness to the utility industry and in some of those those things. Um, I think there's also some parallels. I think you can always draw parallels between the business and IT with some of these processes. I think that's very distinct at a utility. Yeah. I, 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 my days go back to you know cold winter nights, going out 
you know, looking for down lines and, and you think about that, that's incident management. Yeah. And so we had the lights out for two weeks and that's too long. How do we do that better the next time? Guess what? That's problem management. And, you know, we don't just switch things on and off without controls. We work through those things. There's change management. I, I've always found the electric utility is emphasizes that parallel, I think a lot more than some of perhaps some of the other industries that makes it more obvious there. Well, especially because what's interesting is two thirds, very rough number of most utilities uh, companies aren't people that sit behind the computer, right. you know, and then you have, it's a, it's an industry that values engineers. It's a value, it values thought process, but it also is very customer centric in that we, you know, our customers call and complain if our electricity's off or somebody backs in and cuts off something, right? I mean, it, it's, you have this immediate feedback. Yeah, it, um, and, you know, I, I did a class for, for our IT group to try to tie some of the, what does idle mean and what's reality? And, and some of the exercises we went through was that very thing. Like, you know, I, I sit here and work on this, but how does that affect our end customer? And I don't know that that's always obvious, but you're, you're exactly right, especially in a utility. I, if I don't manage the system right that's tracking outages, that has an immediate and crucial effect on our external customers getting their their service restored in a timely manner and and uh, so yeah you have all those those parallels that happen oh and it's very interesting and one layer of the public electric utility industry that many may not be aware of there are four letters called NERC followed by CIP and FERC FERC NERC is North America Electric something cooperative. It's basically the regulatory body for electricity. And so SIP is critical infrastructure. But NERC SIP drives, that's not you, you and I, because I've been in this, uh, that some, I chuckle because some of the NERC SIP uh, training that you go through is pretty interesting. It's pretty funny in a cheesy sort of way. But NERC and FERC, especially NERC SIP, those regulate those regulatory requirements. They're kind of onerous at times, aren't they? They can be, and um, yeah, I have a, a bit of a unique perspective on it. I was in the utilities and left that industry for a while, and then uh, when I left, the SIP standards weren't in place. When I came back to the utilities, the SIP standards was in place, and it was it was quite a, a difference. It was an obvious difference of what happened. So yeah, so critical infrastructure protection standards, and it's all about the, the grid, yes. right? Our, we talk about the, the um, field operations and IT in the past. Those were very distinct things. Um, the, the, the folks are out working on the poles. They didn't, they didn't have a tie to the technology, but our worlds are starting to blend together. So technology is more entwined with the field operations, with the electric grid. And so the standards are there to protect the grid. And uh, they are onerous, but you know, what's, what's the right level of that, right? It, 
it's an important it's an important standard to enforce. And so what it does for us is it's uh, it it's a challenge to essentially protect that grid. Everything is about protecting the grid. Who can see what? Um, you know, the right people are able to see the right things. If you don't need to see it, you shouldn't be able to see it. How do you protect that from the corporate side of your business? And um, yeah, I equate it to like healthcare, right? There's there's a corporate side of healthcare, and then there's the medical side of healthcare, and so you have to have a wall between those. That the folks that don't need to see the medical side of it don't see it. It's it's really the same thing, um, um, but it is yes. With any of those standards, they can be very, very onerous at times, but it's for an it's for an important reason. Oh yeah, I wouldn't say it's it's wrong, yeah. especially as IoT gets more pushed into this. As your utility companies, I'm speaking broadly to people, your utility companies have doohickeys that are on the on the lines that measure line losses. I'm trying not to use brand names or you know. <laughs> But there's also one uh, use case that I found back in the world of change management. So with smart grids now, there's the ability to cut off automatedly, you know, do batch cut off. So if you, and turn on, you know, you don't need somebody to come to your house to turn on your electricity now, but that gives a lot of power to people. So we need extra control because we don't want somebody turning off power to his ex-brother-in-laws because he doesn't like them. Or, you know, you can think of all those scenarios, but that change management is extra needed just to be a good steward of that power. That's correct. And, and you know, it's, it's all, our world has changed. If you go back 20 years ago, our concern was, that you know, is somebody out in a remote location going to damage one of the transmission lines or sub-transmission lines? Well, now they could potentially do that damage without leaving their home. Yes. You know, that that's the bad the bad actor finds a way into the environment through the technology, and that's what this is all about. It's to protect us. It's to protect the grid from that that kind of a character. Oh yeah, and, and we see everywhere they're there, right? I mean, the electric company. And the water company are like the two big targets for most uh, nefarious people. So what processes or practices, you don't have to go into details, that you all have in place there at Duquesne and how mature are they? How, how are you all doing? Yeah, so um, a couple, couple things. And I think this is probably not unique to Duquesne. I think there's a lot of organization in this place. I think if you would look beyond a formal declaration of there's incident management. I, I believe we we probably have all, all the processes in one fashion or another represented. Now, what do we formally have represented? Well, the group that I'm with, you know, we, we're part of technical services. So we represent what I would call sort of the core, the sweet spot in the model. If you think about idle three, where he had transition to operations, I always called that the sweet spot. If you didn't get that right, it didn't matter about the other processes, right? So that's sort of what our group represents is that sweet spot, incident, problem, change, event management, request fulfillment, service continuity, configuration management, release management. That's where we're 
our focus is at is though that sweet spot of processes. Um, where are we at with maturity? It varies. Um, and again, I think this is again not unique to us. I think it's what where does where does it naturally get driven to, right? If you're going to do change management, that has tendency to be a fairly mature process because if you're even recognize that it's a it's necessary and you do the basics of a, a cab and a process, that has tendency to be one of your more mature processes. Incident management, another one that you know. If you have any recognition that you need to do incident management, that has tendency to be one of your ma more mature, mature processes. Um, the places where we're, we're coming into maturity, request, service continuity, um, event management, um, configuration management, that's, that's sort of that next, that next layer release in there. And again, I'm, I think I'm not, describing something that other organizations aren't seeing, it's right, It's that sort of next level, right? If I get change right, I get incident right, okay, where do I go next? Request, where do I go next? Event, configuration management, connect all the dots, so. And, and you think of it as investments. Yeah. You, it, it, there's a lot of diminishing returns, the closer to five you get. It costs way more in terms of time and resources to incrementally go from three to four than two to three. And so in my model, if we mentioned numbers, yours may look different. Mine, zero is non-existent. One is initial. Two is repeatable. Three is defined as per the process. So people are doing things repeatedly be through a process. Four is quantitatively measured. So there's there are metrics tied to that process. And five is optimized. And, you know, nobody ever gets to that five. You know, some organizations spend as you know, there's a lot of diminishing returns as you move up that. Is that where you, yeah, what you found? It's exactly it. And I think what you, what you find is it depends on the, it depends on the company. It depends on your services that you provide. Yeah. Uh, if I'm a, if I'm a, an organization that um, is, uh, um, I'm, I'm making the scenario up, right. But if my customer is the U S government, there's a, pretty ch fair chance that my maturity level has to be much higher than uh, another company. I, you know, maybe I am tracking towards the four and the, to the five range. But yeah, generally most companies, when you get from two to three and get into that three range, that's a sweet spot. And then, then you have to start asking yourself, okay, Am I, what's the value for me for the investment that's going to take me from a three to a four? That's exactly where we're we're at. And so most organizations say, I think for that cost, I can stand up two other processes or practices and get them to a two for the cost it takes you to get from a three to four for a change or incident or whatever else. Yep, there you go. So yeah, maybe I don't, now I can go to 12 processes instead of 10. I can take that investment and go attack a couple more pain points. Yep, exactly right. Lisa, so you and I are process guys and so audience, if it feels like we're speaking the same language, we've never met before having a pre-podcast meeting, but us process people, we kind of see the world a certain way, yep. <laughs> rightly or wrongly. Yep. Uh, so how, we, we dabbled in this question, but how is service management different from the in the utility industry than other industries? Yeah, I think the big the big difference that I see right now is, is the SIP, when we talk about 
the SIP, that has really made a difference in the, the, the uh, utilities. Um, I host an open forum for ITSMF for the utilities community and half the conversations we have in that open forum are about SIP. Yep. How does this company, how do you do this? How do we control this? And it's, it's because of that sort of onerous but necessary nature. So how do I separate corporate assets from you know, the, the SIP assets? What's the best way to do that? How do I protect that, not just from outside, but inside too? It, it, I think that's the, the difference there. It's, it, you're protecting it all, all around, right? And so what you end up doing is you end up, um, generally, it feels like you've stood up parallel processes, right? Uh, they may look the same, but is change management in a SIP world, is that the same process as corporate or is it two different processes that look the same? And you know, you'll have all different, you can have a debate with people all afternoon about that you know, philosophically, but reality is, it's probably two different, it's two different groups of stakeholders, it's two different groups of assets. That's not, that's not just change, right? That's incident, that's request, that it goes across all the processes. And I think that's, that is the big difference, especially, you know, not all utilities are under the SIP standards, but those that are in the SIP standards, they definitely feel that, that difference that I'm not sure you see in a lot of the other industries. And people would be shocked if they knew we're talking at a high level, but there's also a couple other layers. If I can throw these in, you also have the PII, the personal identifiable information, because if you think about what your electric company knows, especially with the IOT, so, you know, those programmable thermostats, and I'm saying this to the audience, if they know your name, your address, and know when your uh, air conditioner kicks on in the afternoon, from 80 degrees to 68, it goes, huh, I guess somebody's not there. And so, you know, that we're moving in the utility world into this new world that I think SIPs, SIP or some other regulatory is gonna move over to the IoT. What are you thinking on that? Yeah, it, um, yeah the technology has, uh, I mean, it, it has blended all of our worlds, all of our worlds together. And so, yeah, you, you're right, there's different, there's different elements that um, you constantly you constantly have to look for that. Just what you described that there's whether it's SIP information or it's personal information and yeah, all, all uh, I, I guess it, it takes that sort of element that we don't think about as of information being an asset. Oh yeah, right. We always think about assets as the hard things like servers and computers, but information is an asset. And, and as such, just like you would protect a server asset, you protect that information asset also. It has to be protected. It has to be controlled and visible to the right players, but you know, those that need to see it and not be able to see it, it, it brings all those to, to the table for you. Especially you think about your thermostat. Your thermostat knows quite a bit about you. There's a lot of uh, discussion on the Alexas of the world and what they know about you, but your thermostat knows that you haven't been home in five days and you may not be home in, on the sixth or whatever it is. So COVID has impacted everyone. We call it the coronavirus. We can call it the pandemic. We can call it 
whatever we want to. How has it impacted service management at Duquesne? Yeah, there's a there's a couple of different layers of that. It's uh, you think about you sort of back up to the I'll, I'll say with the individual first off the individual right everybody's world or a lot of people's world has changed in the last nine months here. And so individuals that have worked in an office for the last 25 years, all of a sudden, they're trying to figure out how to do that same thing from home. And so you got the individual piece, you've got the business that we've overnight had to take pieces of the business and make them work remote that, you know, we weren't prepared for that. I, I say we collectively, not just Duquesne. We, so how do you take a call center and move a call center almost overnight to be remote? It's not, it's not or wasn't built that way. How do you take operations, an operations center, and how do you take pieces of that and make it work remote? It's not built that way. And so I think that's been the biggest challenge. Well, then that to an IT from a service management standpoint, there's there's the challenge is how do we support that is you know we um whether it's providing enough network bandwidth whether whether it's providing the computers that you need for individuals to go remote whatever that is uh, that's the challenge of it's almost an operational challenge um, for service managers how do we support that in the best way for our for our business especially with all these regulatory guidelines that we were talking about, because it's a lot easier to lock things down when people are at their desk inside the company firewall. It's a little bit more difficult when they take their laptop home. Yeah. Yeah. All comes full circle there. Oh yes. And people that don't know this about utility companies, they are vigilant. And I say that in a positive way about being prepared for all the different scenarios. They're the, the CISO at all the utilities, they're always uh, a little sensitive, if you may. Yeah. Maybe not at Duquesne, but in general, they're sensitive people, and especially with regulatory and all that other stuff. So last question. You've been a great guest, Cy, and we thank, thank you. you for being on. We talked a little bit about the processes and practices and the people aspect. If you had the resources, what would you attempt immediately just because you know, it, it yields a great bang for your buck, so to speak. So I, I have two, I've, I, I've heard one of your, some of your previous guests, they talk about knowledge. And I, I think that's a good top contender in that is knowledge management. But for me, and this has always sort of been a sweet spot for me, I have two and, and I have a model in mind that someday somebody will give me that ability to create this model is it's problem management and it's continual improvement. My belief is that those are almost those could be self-sustaining processes, meaning that if you gave me an allocation of resources and left me attack problem management, I will save you resources, time, uh, all those things by doing effective problem management. So then give me a portion of that back for me to do more of that. Right. Continual improvement, I think, is exactly the same way you know, um, there's where I can, I can continually be driving more value um, by looking for how to do things better, uh, drive out waste out of the environment. So to, to me, that's my two, it would be problem management, continual, continual improvement. In continual improvement, and this may or may not appear in the closing thoughts that that tack onto the back of this, in my view, 
will be very key to the organization's success. Every organization, as we come out of this pandemic, some companies are going to leverage all the new variables and they're going to accelerate. They're going to be awesome. You know, there's others that are going to be kind of mired down and they're not going to be able to get out of the, the mud and the, you know, everything that holds them down. The ones that accelerate are going to be able to iterate and continuously improve because all the variables are changed. Take another step, variables have changed and move forward. Is that, I know it's a different way of looking at things, but is that kind of in line with yours? Yeah. And, you know, I always feel like the challenge with continual improvement is kind of like, I feel like the challenge was with the framework. It, it almost becomes so, so contextual that it's hard to understand it. And um, so what I encourage people to do is think, think a little more simplistic about that. Take the continual improvement model. It's some basic questions like, well, so what's my vision? Well, you know, ask somebody that question. The first time you ask them that, that's gonna be an uncomfortable answer because they're not used to answering that question, but we practice that, right? And so, okay, now, now we know that. So where are we? Where do we wanna be? And that doesn't have to be horribly formal to, to get that mindset going. Now, back to your, your thought of coming out of the pandemic. Yeah, lots of opportunities. Like, so, you know, some of those things that came out of that are good things. So how do we keep that momentum going? How do we keep driving on top of that? How do we prevent ourselves from going backwards? You know, and some of those backwards might be the right direction, but it's a conscious, it's a conscious discussion about, uh, about that, having that. And yeah, otherwise, if you don't, if you don't go at it with that mindset, then you're going to, you're going to revert back to where you're at. And that may or may not be the right place to be. Especially if your competitors, uh, most competitive industries, there are some that are accelerating. You know, we, we see this a lot of places. There are some industries where one player has said, okay, here's a new set of variables. Let's figure out how to attack it, how to leverage these. Another like, I sure hope we go back to the good old days, you know? And yeah. it's just one of those things that I guess the older I get, the more I, I'm used to change and, and we have to go, okay, how can we make the best of this? Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm realistic. I'm just like you, right? It's sometimes uh, the way I do things, it, it's very comfortable but comfortable may not always cut it. And so how do I, how do I sort of control that, that path forward? And um, cause it's gonna change. You mentioned competition, right? If, if I'm not able to adjust, then my competition's going to make me adjust. And that may not be quite the way I wanted to adjust. And um, so, and that's, that's again, when you asked the question, that's why that's one of my top, top, uh, processes that I would go after is I think that is what dis that that's what distinguishes one organization from another is which one's more effective at, at that that process. And I agree with you because also cycle times of bringing new things to market are speeding up. You don't have this long cycle time. The variables are always getting changed. Leadership seems to turn over faster now than ever. Everything's changing and we have to be nimble to our business requirements or business customers needs and so it's going to take that iterative improvement approach 
Yep, that's exactly right. At least that's There's, my view. At least yeah, that's my view. I, I funny I, the things we we think about I we we bought a new house and there's an awning on it right and so there's a company that's been around for 80 years that takes care of the awnings and they have you know, every year they come out and take the awnings down and they clean them and they put them on a shelf and they store them and then in the spring they come back out and put them in and you know that's it's a wonderful nostalgic kind of a view into the that world but not all companies work that way and you know competition is what it is and so how do you distinguish your if you're not one of those 80 year old companies that has that very niche product then how do you distinguish yourself from other other companies and again i think it's it's how well i do continual improvement and i'm i'm right there with you Cy house thank you for being on our podcast thank you for being a great guest Welcome, Jeffrey. Appreciate the uh, appreciate the ask, and uh, look forward to talking to you more in the future. Oh yeah, we'd love to have you on after the first of the year. It time goes by so quickly. It does. Uh, I hope you have a great, great day. You do the same. We'll be back with Jeffrey's closing thoughts. Hello, everyone. This is Jeffrey back with closing thoughts. We thank you for joining us on our podcast, the Service Management Leadership Podcast. And we thank Cy Howells for being with us. He had great knowledge and expertise for you. And hopefully it was something that you can listen to and glean from his experience. He's been in this world a long time. So have we, but it's great to talk to others who have. So there are three things that I want to bring up and just point out and talk through. Number one, as you probably gathered, the electric utility industry is very regulated, no shocker, but it impacts how we do service management. And so I spent eight years in that industry, full understanding of how to work in and out of the regulatory requirements. And so it's one of the service offerings we provide and we want to make available. But those do not take those lightly. Do not think that, please, do not think that other industries are as regulated as the electric utility. They're not. And we understand that because think about it. We do not want someone to control our electric grid and turn everybody's power off. That's bad news. We don't want people to use that and hijack it, the electricity for their own gain, bad news. And then you think about like California and other states and regions and countries, which have had experience rolling blackouts, other types of shortages from the generation side, maybe even uh, transmission side. And so just all those intricacies, all the regulatory, need somebody that understands it. Second of all, we talked a little bit about process maturity, process maturity assessments with SAI, and we're just at service management leadership, just finishing up a, a project with a client on doing this. And I will tell you that whether there are two ways, two times where it's very needed to understand how mature your process is. The first one is when you move to a different tool, a new tool, you upgrade tools, and you enter processes to transition. 
everybody gets that. Second is if you are undergoing uh, transformation within your organization, you need to mold and adapt your current processes and practices to what the new organization needs and requires. So we're happy to do that type of process maturity assessment, help you get from here to there. And lastly, third, not at all least, understand how COVID has impacted all these different industries mightily, but in different ways. And so as we think about coming out of this pandemic, whenever that is, there will be organizations that are able to springboard into their transformation, springboard into what their business customers need, while there's others that won't. So be thinking on that strategy side, how do we anticipate what we'll need? How do we gather that feedback and be prepared to accelerate once we're out of this? We'll be out of it soon. And I'm an optimist, you all can tell. I'm an optimist, high energy guy, but we'll be out of this soon. And so we need to be thinking, okay, how do we leverage this? Well, everybody else is mired in the, the, oh, poor me, oh, we're struggling, and a lot of people are. How do we use that, this as a time, if you think of a SWOT analysis, how do we think of it as an opportunity, not a threat or a weakness? How do we think of this as an opportunity? Because many of the organizations three years from now that are doing awesome, that's how they are going to look at this, this problem statement of COVID, the pandemic. They'll be thinking, they will be thinking, how do we get from here to there? This COVID, this pandemic, the economy, they've caused us to look at the same problems through a different lens, even creating new problems. So we have to be able to get out of our comfort zone, have to be able to get, step up, back a little bit, understand the issue, and then be able to look and see where we need to be. It's quite a bit, but hopefully this has been valuable to you. Please leave me feedback wherever you hear or see this. Connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm easy to spot, especially these glasses, this, this, uh, this head, I'm easy. So it's great having you. We thank you for being a part of what we're doing here at Service Management Leadership. And uh, thank you once again. And I hope you have a, a great, great day.